0: Well, good morning. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled to be sharing with you today. Uh, this is an exciting thing that is like a side effect of my job. Uh, I get to also preach to you guys, even though my job is really uh, to hang out with teenagers and hopefully have a lot of fun and teach people um, who are a lot more impressionable than you, probably. Uh, I'm glad you laughed because we're all impressionable. Um and because of that, I am going to burst your bubble a little bit. And because I learned something this week, as I'm learning it all the time, and it is that you and I are not as important as we think we are. hate to break it to you, but you are not as cool or as special or as important as you think you are. Now, before you all get offended at me, uh, I'm included. Uh, I am not that important. I'm not that special. And a number of things. This is important to us because we have to understand how we relate in the world that we live in. And the fact that our world is too big is important to that. And let me explain. There's one person in life who you hear all of their thoughts, experience all of their problems, experience their entire schedule and everything about them, and that's you. So what happens? You and I get disproportionately, our world gets disproportionately too large. In comparison to other people because every person in this room is equally important but we don't experience everything about every person in this room so we start to think of ourselves as too important so here's an example of that during the heaviest of the quarantine i was doing what i shouldn't have been doing and i was traveling i (laughs) i was going back and forth between my parents house so that i didn't have to spend the entire time alone So I was going back and forth between my parents' house. Uh, They were the only people I was seeing. And what was happening is I would wake up there and the blessings would be that coffee was made and I didn't have to do it. And then the curse would be that they would have plans that day, which is a miracle in itself. And they would expect me to want to be a part of their plans. Sorry, mom and dad, Uh, they're probably watching today and I'm just rolling them under the bus here. we, they would have plans, and mind you, these were fun plans with me in mind, hoping I would enjoy them, but something inside of me was saying, stop planning my whole day. Not like I had things to do, like I was totally free and totally at their disposal, but I was too entrapped in my own world to say, here's the freedom I have, please let's all do fun things together. Instead, I was like, I've lived by myself for so long that I am in full control of my own world. I'm like one of those people that it's gotta be my idea, it can't just be a good idea, you know? I don't know if you've ever experienced people like that, and if you haven't, it's probably you, so there's that. I'm excited for today because when our world is too big, it's really important that we experience the series we're in right now. Average Joe's is about a couple guys who were just that, they weren't special. They weren't known for anything in particular, and they had to learn the lesson of, I'm not that important. Their blessing was they got to learn it alongside of Jesus. And so today we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter is a letter by the apostle Peter, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, I knew I was going to be in the third chapter, and as I was looking at it, I started with the whole chapter, and then I brought it down to a section, brought it down to about eight verses, and I actually ended up settling on one verse today, because I learned something in my reading and research this last week that added enough weight to this verse that I knew we wouldn't have time to even move any farther, and that it would Hold enough weight, I hope for you, as it did for me, as God spoke to me, that you only need this one verse today. This one verse is 1 Peter 3, 8, and it reads like this. It says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Peter lists five things that we are called to be as Christians, five characteristics of the Christian. Five ways we're called to behave. Now, as I was reading this, I probably did what you just did and thought, cool, those are great things. I'll add those to my life. Check, 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 right? We think, especially those of us who have been in church a lot, we hear these lists all the time. But what I didn't realize is that this was written inside of a specific structure or a specific pattern, which is called a chiastic pattern. That's C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C. I learned this this week. I don't just have this knowledge, okay? I read this from someone much smarter than me. A chiastic pattern. I'm not an English major, but if you speak any sort of pattern language, you know patterns like an A-B-A-B pattern, which is where every other thing is paired together, or A-A-B-B, which is where you have pairs that coincide. This verse is written in a chiastic pattern, which goes A-B-C-B-A. And you see this a lot in scripture. You don't necessarily... If you're me, notice this a lot in the way that we talk as Americans. A lot of times, what we would do is we would put the most important thing at the end of the verse, at the end of the list. We build to the climax, but instead, in a chiastic pattern, they build towards it and then back out of the main point. So if we look back at these five things, what we find is that the first and fifth thing that Peter listed work together the second and fourth, and then the third is the center in which all of these come from. So let me explain. The first and fifth are be like-minded and be humble. These have to do with the way that the Christian is called to think. These are choices that we get to make. These are ways that we are shaping our mind as we work to be like Christ. So we begin with like-mindedness. Like-mindedness is one of those things that often if you are as I am, you misunderstood and then like to skip because you misunderstood it. Like-mindedness sounds like each and every person in this room is supposed to agree with each other on everything, right? We're of the same mind. We should be of the same thoughts and opinions. Well, we all know in the church, especially that is not true. We do not agree with each other on everything. With that said, we need to make sure that we don't mistake like-mindedness for total agreement. Because like-mindedness does not mean we agree on everything. It means we agree on the most important thing. Being like-minded as Christians means that we agree that Jesus has saved us of our sins and that God reigns over our lives. And I hope that's what has brought you to this room today. And I also hope that maybe there's some of you in this room or watching online that you haven't bought into that yet. And with that being said, if you are hearing me today and you say, you know what? I'm not sure I buy into the Jesus thing or the God thing or any of that. Let me let you know, you're kind of off the hook for the rest of this. I encourage you to listen. Maybe there's something to learn. But you're off the hook if you do not say that God reigns over my life. The other side of that is those of us who do claim that, we're called to follow what comes next. And so we are called to be like-minded. But we are allowed to have opinions. You can ask Aaron. He and I disagree on things. And that's okay because we agree on what is most important. When we agree on what's most important, we're actually allowed to have discussion and conversation with one another. We're allowed to look at one another and go, I disagree with you. That's okay. We're allowed to disagree. What we're not allowed to do is say that my desire to be right is more important that we agree on what is most important, and that's Jesus. Because when we start to say my opinion is more important than what we agree on, it's more important than the core of who we are, I lack in the second way we're called to think, which is humility. Humility is often considered the, this idea of thinking of others more. I would argue that it can't be that, because humility has to be thinking of yourself less, because if you don't think of yourself less, there's no room to think of anybody else. And so we think of ourselves inside of this world, inside of this place where we are the most important creature, but I have to be humble enough to think of myself less. Don't concern yourself so much with yourself that you don't have any space to think of others. Humility comes from two places. When you get these two sources right, you will find yourself naturally thinking more humbly because your perspective has changed. The first source is when we figure out our full dependence on God. When you figure out that no matter how independent of a human you are, you have a full dependence on God, you better start thinking of yourself less because you can't even take care of yourself to your fullest ability. That's humility. The second is the one we're even worst at, and it's that we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Why? Because we're actually called to compare ourselves to a specific person, and that's Jesus. We can all look around this room and convince ourselves that we're better than somebody else in this room. We're actually really, really, really good at it. We're exceptional creatures of comparison. So maybe we should change who we compare to and we compare ourselves to Jesus. Something it took me a long time to learn is that I don't get to use Jesus as an excuse. Often what we like to do, often what I like to do, is that we like to say, but Jesus was God, I can't live up to that. Hate to break it to you, Jesus was also entirely human, which means every struggle we have, he had to face too. So we don't get to say, you know what, Uh, God had, or Jesus had an advantage over us. Yeah, he was one with God, but we're actually called to be the same way. So we need to be humble enough to compare ourselves to Jesus. Because once we figure out that we are dependable on God, we are fully dependent on God, and we compare ourselves to Jesus, then you can't be your whole world because you're not the benchmark and you can't take care of yourself. Now, when we choose to think certain ways, when we choose to be like-minded, when we choose to be humble, when you choose to shape your thoughts, the way you feel will change. Humility and like-mindedness are a choice. You can choose to be less self-centered and you can choose to believe in God. Once you choose to shape your thoughts this way, you begin to feel differently which is where Peter's second and fourth point in his list come. We end up with the feelings of a Christian, which are sympathy and compassion. Sympathy is simply feeling what others feel. Like it said in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think this verse is incredibly important to us understanding sympathy because often when we hear the word sympathy, we think of negative emotion. If you think of, if someone said, hey, when was the last time you were sympathetic? You would think of the last time you chose probably to do the second thing, which is mourn with those who mourn. Because as Christians, we really like to talk about that. When we left ourselves somewhere and we were like, you know what? This is more about you. You're hurting. We really like to talk about that. But what we don't often talk about is the good side of sympathy, which is when I get to be excited for other people. In a normal year, I would be really excited for all of the people who graduated this year and had all of those exciting things happen to them, which they still did graduate. Still an exciting year. And I still get to be excited for them. I get to rejoice with them. We don't just have to mourn with people. Because when we start to think of ourselves less, which is sympathy or which is humility, it results in sympathy, which is now I get to be excited for other people and I get to hurt with other people, and other people then become the feelings that I truly feel. Sympathy is the result of humility. And when you start to feel what others feel, that is evidence that Christ's heart is evident in yours. So be excited. When you hear about someone and you hurt for them, that's exciting. When you hear about something good that happened to somebody else, that's exciting because that means that Jesus is working in you. And that's a good thing. When sympathy begins to mature, you are feeling what others feel, you then begin to get closer to what could be considered the deepest of all human emotions, which is compassion. Compassion is the fourth thing that Peter lists here, and it's a feeling we are not familiar with. It's a feeling we don't understand. It's a feeling that many of us may have never felt in our lives, and here's why. Because compassion is a feeling that we have numbed ourselves entirely to. To understand compassion, you have to understand pity. Now, already, I say the word pity in a room of Americans, and we think, I don't want your pity. That's one of the most common phrases that pity would be used in, is I don't want your pity. Pity simply means that we feel bad for someone because something bad happened to them. That's already just sympathy. And so compassion is actually when someone is stirred deeply for the well-being of another. Compassion is what caused God to send his son to save mankind from what mankind had done. It's compassion. Compassion no longer cares what someone would deserve. Compassion is, no, I just want you to have the best possible life you can. And an all too relevant example of how we have eliminated compassion from our lives is if you look back at the end of the year 2019, And I apologize if I offend some people, but we started to hear about this thing on the news. In the town of Wuhan in China, there was a coronavirus. And I imagine, going out on a limb here, conversations about the coronavirus went something like this, and it went something like, I hope that never comes to us. I hope they can keep that contained. I hope it stops there so I don't have to deal with it. Instead, compassion would be the feeling of us hearing the news and being hurt because people are dying. We shouldn't want to see how we can avoid something. Compassion drives us to see how we can help. Not how we can save ourselves. And I'm as guilty as any of hearing about this news. And I remember thinking specific thoughts of, I wish we'd stop talking about it, it isn't here. I have to repent of thoughts like that because that's not compassion. That's selfishness and that's concern for myself, which as Christians, we're not called to feel that way. We're called to say, how can I help you? Because I want to figure out how to solve this. I want to figure out how to keep as many people safe as possible. I want to figure out how to set as many people up for their best lives that I can because I want to feel compassion. We don't know how to feel that. It's hard for me to even explain it because we feel it so little. Because we're completely numb to it. The emotion that should drive the Christian is actually 100% opposed to American culture. Because American culture is completely individualistic. The American dream is to have a big house with a healthy family and make a lot of money. That's all about you. That's so that you can live on your own green acre and just live in your perfect little bubble. The American dream is completely the opposite of compassion. Compassion says, you know what? I hope that I can make a lot of money so that I can spend it on other people because that's the dream. The dream should be, how little can I live on so that I can give more away? Because I don't need it. I don't need to be comfortable. Compassion would drive us to love on people so deeply that we can't actually help it at all. This is why it's the deepest of human emotions. Because once you truly begin to feel compassion, it becomes involuntary. And as we get to the center of what Peter was talking about, we find brotherly love. We talk about love a lot in church because love is central to how we're to live. But not only is it central to how we're to live, it's central to how we are to be known. There was a time that Peter experienced when Jesus was talking about how he was going to someday not be with them. He actually gave them more detail. He's like, I'm, I'm going to be murdered for mankind. And there will be a day you no longer have me. And in John chapter 13, He said this to them. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One, did you notice that he compared his disciples to himself? He took that upon himself to say, as I have loved you, follow my example. Jesus was pretty great at leading by example. But then he said, here's how you're to be known. Don't be known by my name, but be known by how much you love other people. Is that how you will build your reputation? By how you love? By how others are more important to you than even yourself? Will you love people? William Barclay says it like this. He says, the simplest test of the reality of the Christianity of a man or a church is whether or not it makes them love their fellow men. I really like that he uses the word makes because our love should be involuntary. Our love should be something we don't choose to do. It should be something we have to do or we may as well have not woken up today. That's how we're called to live. We're called to love. We're called to be known by our love. Now, this last week, I was writing this sermon, and I was tested for my love and compassion. It's funny how God works. Uh, It was Tuesday, and I had pretty much composed the body of this sermon but I had no idea how I was going to open it and I had no idea how I was going to close. And I was out in my yard here at the parsonage and a man walked up to me from across the parking lot. That's already like kind of a startling thing when some random guy you don't know walks up to you, but let me describe him to you. And I'm only describing him not to place thoughts in your mind, but so that you can experience the thoughts I was having. This man walked up to me He was a little bit taller than me. He was a white gentleman. He was wearing khaki shorts, no shirt on. He had a garbage bag and a side bag and he had his shirt around his neck and tattoo sleeves. Now, hold on to the thoughts you're already having. I'm with you, okay? He walks up to me and he says something and he says something so quietly that I actually don't hear him. So I have to walk up to him and I say, how can I help you? And he says, can you give me a ride? Many of you have already said no in your mind. I was just that fast to say no out loud, okay? I was like, no. Mind you, I was like in my yard, maybe doing yard work. I'm not even sure what I was doing. I was clearly not busy, but now I'm super busy. I'm like, no, I have things to do. (laughs) I can't. He goes, that's okay. I said, but where do you need to go? Like that was gonna change my mind. This is important to the story too. Mind you, I have lived in Muskegon since February, and I've lived in a time where Muskegon has not existed, like much of the world, like it normally does. So much of what I know from Muskegon, I know from the words of people who live in Muskegon. I said, where do you need to go? He's like, oh, I just need to go into the heights. (laughs) To which I pause, because I've heard that's a terrible place to go. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? But now I'm hesitant. Why? Because a guy that I've been conditioned to be afraid of has told me to go to a place that I've been conditioned to avoid. I say, I'm sorry, I can't. He said, do you at least have a bottle of water? This was honest. I really didn't think I had a bottle of water because I don't buy bottled water. And so I said, I really don't think I do. So he's like, I just thought I'd ask, and he leaves. He begins to walk across the parking lot. To which I go, I can at least check, right? So I go inside and I, bought, I, get, I find I actually have one bottle of water in my fridge. Who knew? <laughs> maybe it's a miracle. I don't know. I don't remember having a bottle of water and I haven't bought bottled water since I lived here. So I get this bottle and I go back outside, selfishly thinking if I give him this, maybe I cannot feel guilty about how that exchange went. But he's gone. And at this point, I actually remember what I was doing. I was cleaning out my car in my driveway, to which I hear God kind of speak to me and go, it's a pretty good blessing you have in that car right there, isn't it? That you haven't had to pay any money for, and that you're able to drive and you have a job so you can pay the gas that goes in it. It's a shame if I'd ask you to use that, wouldn't it? So rather than feel sick to my stomach the whole night, I feel sick to my stomach and I get in my car and try to go find this guy. And so I get in there with the of water and I drive down the street and I'm parking a parking lot. I had passed him. I know he's headed this way and I begin to pray and I say, God, if this is what you need me to do, it's kind of what I've been learning from you all week. I wave him down and I give him this bottle of water and he said, oh, thanks. I said, and do you still need that ride? To which I promise, I promise, something snarky came out of his mouth like, oh, you have time now? Ouch. Yeah, I always had time. I was just being selfish. And so I opened my trunk. I let him put his stuff in there. And he, turn by turn, leads me to where he needs to go. And here's what I learned about my new friend. My new friend, who I won't mention his name, and I really hope is watching today, lost his job because of COVID. His parents didn't want him around. His friends who he had been staying with all week had cars and would not drive him across town. And he literally would do anything to be working right now. And he was all polite to me the whole time. He swore one time and apologized to me as fast as that word came out of his mouth because he knew who I was, which shouldn't matter. You should be most comfortable around us. And I dropped him off, and he looked me in the eyes and he said, thank you, I really appreciate it, and I believed him. I still believe him. And I drove away, and I don't want you to look at me and say, wow, our youth pastor, he's a keeper. <laughs> because I promise, 99 times out of 100, I've been faced with this situation and did not go pick him up. Also, I don't encourage you to pick up strangers. Strangers. If God hadn't been speaking to me to go do this, I wouldn't have. But here's what I do know. As I left, I didn't feel pride, which it doesn't take much conversation with me to know that I really easily feel pride. But I felt fulfillment, and just the conversation of that is what we're called to do. I drove the guy 14 minutes. It took a half hour out of my day and I saved him based on the weather the rest of the night from walking in the dark and the rain and knocking on a door that he didn't know was going to welcome him in because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be unique in the fact that we're driven by our love. We shouldn't be able to help it when someone needs something that we can give them. You can't solve all the world's problems, but I could give that guy a ride downtown. And as we as Christians become unique in the fact that we're known for our love, I hope that we find a community of people who are unique in the fact that they're driven by their love of other people and that unites us. Because when we're uniquely united under the love of Christ and the love that pours out of us, that is when the church becomes the church. And that is when love wins. So my challenge for you today is not to go out and look for something to do. Not to go out and look for love. But when you experience the opportunity, maybe be quicker to say yes than I was. Try to eliminate no from your reflex and yes, so we can be uniquely one body of Christ who people know because we love them. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people, and I thank you for your word. God, I pray that not only does your word challenge me, but it challenges everyone who is like-minded in the fact that we believe that you reign over our lives and we're called to live for you. I thank you for opportunities, and I pray that we become a people that say yes to opportunities to loving people rather than no. May we be less concerned with ourselves than for the well-being of others. I thank you again for bringing your word to us. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.